We'll take your Bibles. Let's go to Genesis chapter 15. If you're visiting with us, we're making our way through the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings. Today we're beginning a new chapter. And as we begin this chapter, it's important to understand where we are at contextually. We need to have in our minds what has just taken place in chapter 14. Remember that war had broken out. Four federated kings from the east came against five kings in their cities in the well-watered plain of the Jordan. That included the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The kings from the east won, and as a result, they spoiled the cities, took the people captive with all their goods. That happened to include Abram's nephew Lot, who was then dwelling in Sodom. Word came to Abram that Lot had been taken captive, so he armed 318 of his trained servants in his house, and he went off to rescue Lot, and in the process he ended up rescuing all the captives and their possessions. As Abram returns from the battle, he's met by the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. I took a good chunk of time last week to talk about the identity of Melchizedek. And uh, one of these days I'll learn to stop giving my opinion. If you missed it and you're wondering what my opinion is, go back and listen. I'm not mentioning it again today. (laughs) Melchizedek, he blesses Abram and the Most High God. Abram gave tithes to Melchizedek. This is all important as we're going into chapter 15, okay? And then there's the encounter with the king of Sodom. He approaches Abram and he says, If you'll give me the people, you can keep all the goods for yourself. But Abram replied, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Abram knew that a good name is rather to be chosen than silver and gold. And Abram knew where he stood and what his answer was going to be before there was ever a temptation that came from the king of Sodom. And if we're going to be successful in our hour of temptation, then we must already know where we stand and why. We must agree with God's word on what is right and wrong in his sight. And so I want you to keep all of this in mind as we come to chapter 15. And we're just going to read the first verse, and that's where we're going to be today. Look at what it says. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Amen. After these things, after the close of chapter 14, Namely, after Abram said to God, I choose you over the world. I want you. I don't need what the world has to give me. God shows up in a vision. Now, I believe every child of God ought to have an experience in their life that is an after these things event. Something in your growth, in your Christian life, where you made a decision that you you are going to remain faithful no matter what temptations come your way. 
And then you can say afterwards, God showed up and He worked on my behalf. Here we find the Lord appeared unto Abram in a vision after He made a stand. Just a quick observation. This is the first time in the Bible that we find the phrase, the Word of the Lord. And the Word which has come to Abram from the Lord was, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Notice first that God speaks directly to Abram. God addresses him by name. God brings His Word directly to Abram. God cares about Abram. And don't miss how God is personally involved in Abram's life. The Creator is not out of touch with His creation. While God reigns on high, He's not out of reach from any that will seek after Him. While God is high and lifted up, He will come down to us. And while God is holy, He will meet us where we are at. God has not left us to ourselves. God is interested in the details of our life. God calls out to us by name. God wants to speak directly to us by His Word. God will call out to you personally. God cares about you individually. Hey, God loves you. God so loved the world, but make it personal. God so loved you. God so loved me. God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son for you. He died for all, but He died for you. I sometimes will challenge people to make Isaiah 53 personal. He has borne my griefs. He carried my sorrows. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, I am healed. Like a sheep, I've gone astray. I've turned to my own way. The Lord hath laid on Him my iniquity. We need to grasp the great love wherewith God loved us individually. Do you really believe the Lord died to save you? What a thought. You. Why would God do so much for you? Because God wants a relationship with you. An individual relationship with you. You see, the Christian life is more about what God can do or has done for others, but it's about what God wants to do for you. A walk with God is more than meeting with God's people on Sundays. But a walk with God is daily. 
It's personal. We're in fellowship with God. Why am I hammering this? Because so many have this impression that God is just somewhere out there in outer space and He's not really concerned about them personally. Or that God is too big to be interested in little old you. Or that God is too busy to be interested in the details of your life. And as a result, many do not have a close walk with God. They believe God can save them, but they don't really believe that they can get to know God personally until they get to eternity. And so they end up just going through life in their own strength and in their own wisdom, never fully trusting in God. We have to walk with Him. 1 John 1.7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Christ cleanses us from all our sin. We need to have a closeness with God. We need more than just God's salvation through Christ. Understand what I'm saying. Because for so many, that's all the Christian life is. Oh yeah, I'm saved. Do you have a relationship with Him? If we would just learn to walk with God as friend with friend, we could save ourselves a great deal of headache while we travel this world below. So how's your walk with God today? Your walk. Not the church's walk. How's your walk with God? Are you one today who only knows the Lord as Savior, but you don't know Him as your friend? Can you say that you have a close walk with God today? Would you say you're enjoying a personal daily relationship with Him right now? Perhaps you can't say that you even know the Lord at all. Maybe you've never been saved. Well, you'll never have a walk with Him until you are born again into God's family through Christ alone. And if you don't know the Lord, why won't you believe on Him today? And enter into that walk with Him. Now let's consider what the Lord says to Abram here. The first thing God says is, fear not. Now we find this thought throughout the Bible. Fear not. We find it throughout the Bible because our natural tendency in our flesh is to become fearful. I know we're Americans. I know we're big, bad, we're king of the hill, we're all those things. But if we're honest today, we all have had moments of fear. And I believe as human beings, we, we face this battle between where at one moment we can be as bold as a lion and the next we're fearful. Isn't it interesting how bold Elijah was in 1 Kings chapter 18 as he's on top of Mount Carmel and he prays to God and fire falls down from heaven and consumes the altar, every, every bit of it. And then he takes, listen, I'm laughing because so many have this idea that Christianity is some kind of pansy thing. No, 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 the man of God took 450 prophets of Baal and killed them. He was bold. But what happened in the next chapter? Jezebel, a woman, (laughs) threatened his life and he ran out of fear. 
the same David who boldly said in Psalm 27 and verse 3, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Is the same man who said in Psalm 31, 13, For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. How about Peter? Remember when the mob came to arrest Jesus and Peter with great boldness drew out his sword and took a shot at Malchus. And it's only because he was a bad shot, I believe, that he cut off his ear. I think he wanted to hit the center of his head. The same night, he denies his Lord three times out of fear. How could the Apostle Paul be so bold in preaching the Scriptures and facing down the false teachers of his day and then say in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Without were fightings. Within were fears. Why did God have to tell Abram, fear not? What was it that Abram feared? Well, let's not forget that Abram had just boldly defeated the four federated kings from the east. And perhaps in Abram's mind, they're going to return in even greater numbers and they're going to exact their revenge against Abram. Therefore, fear may have replaced his faith. We can find ourselves being bold as a lion one moment while trusting in God, but then in the next moment, we can become fearful when we take our eyes off the Lord and all we see is, is the what ifs. Nobody's come after him. What if? The what ifs can cause a lot of fear. When Abram went to rescue Lot, he was very bold because he had placed his trust in God. Remember, he had lifted up his hand unto the, the Most High God. He trusted in Him. But it would seem now he has some fear welling up in his mind since the Lord has to tell him, fear not. And why can God tell Abram, fear not? Well, look at what God says next. I am thy shield. God doesn't want Abram to fear because God was his shield. God was his defense. God was his protector. Abram wasn't to fear retribution from the four kings he defeated because God was his shield. Now get what this says. God is not saying, I was your shield. God is not saying, I will be your shield. God says, I am your shield. I am presently your shield, Abram. In 2 Samuel 22, verses 2 and 3, David said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock, and Him will I trust. He is my shield. Amen. Psalm 18, 35, Thou hast also given me the shield of Thy salvation. Amen. Psalm 28, 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. Psalm 89, 18, The Lord is our defense. Therefore, if Abram is allowing fear into his life, he would not be fully trusting in God's ability to be his shield and protect him. Proverbs 30 and verse 5 says, He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Have you ever considered what message we are sending to God when the, the Father says, I've got you, you're protected 
and then we go on to live in fear? What kind of message does that send? Our fear is communicating to God that we do not fully trust Him. It demonstrates to God that we don't understand that God is all we need. Do we really believe God is all sufficient? Do we really believe God is able to be our shield? Do we really believe that God is our protector when a new virus crops up? Don't go there, preacher. Too late. Do we really believe God is our shield when the economy is weak? Do we really believe God is our shield when the enemies begin to surround us? Psalm 31, verses 14 and 15. But I trusted in Thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. My times are in Thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Do we really trust that our life is hid with God in Christ? Do we fully trust that our life is in God's hand? Do you know once we're born again, we are in the Savior's hand? And then He goes on to say, you're in the Father's hand. And no man is able to pluck you out of the Father's hand. Do we live like that, like we believe it? I wonder if you have any fears today. Has your boldness in God turned into fear of your circumstance? Are you able to honestly say that God is your shield and that you are resting in that truth? God wants to be your shield. and Therefore, God is also saying to us, fear not. Insert your name where it says Abram. Fear not. I am thy shield. Jesus said in Luke 8.50, Fear not, believe only. What is that? That's faith over fear. That's not just some catchy phrase to be put on t-shirts and hats and stickers to make money off of. But it is a principle found in God's Word that we ought to live by. I'm okay if you have it on hats and stickers and t-shirts. It's, it's fine. It's good. Faith over fear. But just make sure you're living it. So God said to Abram, Fear not. I am thy shield. But look at the last thing in verse 1 that God says to Abram. Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now I want you to notice the punctuation mark used here. There's a colon separating the phrases fear not and I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And what this means is what is stated after the colon is related to what is stated before. The second clause is going to help help us understand the first. And so what this is communicating to us is that Abram has two fears. The first fear, which we've already covered, is the presence of his enemies. Therefore, God says, I am thy shield. Now we find out that Abram also had a fear of God's blessing as well. And therefore, God says, I am thy exceeding great reward. There's two fears. Albert Barnes wrote this, Abram has two fears, the presence of evil and the absence of good. But God has chosen him, and here engages himself to stand between him and all harm, and himself to be to him all good. With such a shield from all evil and such a source of all good, he need not to be afraid. End quote. So what was the absence of good that Abram was afraid of? And this is the other fear. I mean, let's not forget, Abram 
has been greatly blessed by God. He is exceedingly wealthy. He is a rich man upon the earth. He had already been possessed, uh, he had already been given earthly temporal blessings of this world. God had already been very good to him. So what is his particular fear here? Well, remember in chapter 12, God had made some promises to Abram. And one of those is he would make of him a great nation and that his seed would possess the land. In chapter 13, God told Abram, I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. Now, for those promises to come to pass, what does it require? It requires that Abram and Sarah have a child. But guess what? They still haven't had a child. The Bible made it clear over in chapter 11, she's barren. We'll cover these verses more next time, but look ahead just a second at what Abram says to God in verses 2 and 3. What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given me no seed. It's clear to me Abram's fear is that he's going to remain without a child. Now, by this point, many years have passed since all of this started going. And we, we know Abram was 75 in chapter 12 when God called him out of Haran. And he very well may have left Ur of the Chaldees a few years before that. The Bible doesn't say, but they stopped along the way to the land of Canaan and they dwelled in Haran, which means more than they just got a hotel room. They, they put down some roots for a little bit. The, the next time that we're given Abram's age is at the end of chapter 16 and we're told there that he was 86. So we could easily be approaching a decade now that Abram and Sarai have waited for God's promise of a child. According to Matthew Henry's commentary, he estimates seven years have now elapsed from the calling in chapter 12 to leave Haran till chapter 15. Seven years. God promised and nothing is happening. Hey, they ain't getting any younger. God bless her. She ended up giving birth at 90. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Whew. Lord. Sorry, spoiler alert. They end up having a kid. They, they don't have one now. <laughs> Abram fears he will not have this child God has promised and time is just passing by. Because God has promised Abram it's going to come to pass. God has promised. Let me put it this way. Abram fears he can't trust God's promise. He fears God's word can't be trusted. He fears God is not going to come through for him. Have you ever been there yourself? You know the promises of God and you know what God's word says but you aren't seeing this certain promise come to pass yet. Oh yeah, these other ones, they're, they're working out. God is blessing me and all these things. But there's this promise here that God made to me and it is not coming to pass. As a result, some fears may have crept in. Fearful wonderings about whether or not all of God's Word is truthful. Whether or not all of God's Word can be trusted. Will we keep our trust in God when it feels like all we believed about God 
all that we trusted about God's Word, all that we proclaimed about God seems to be crashing down around us? Or are we going to fear? But what does God say to Abram? I am thy exceeding great reward. Why did God promise Abram a child to begin with? Because through him, the promised seed of the Messiah would arrive. The Savior of all mankind. God in the flesh. Therefore, God himself is going to be his ultimate reward. Are you picking that up? I'm your reward. I'm the reason for the kid. Why? Because I'm coming to earth. Uh, This is so good. I'm I'm not going to develop that any further. If you're not catching that, then sorry, go go to another church. And I'm only kidding. I'm, I'm trying to be more pastorly. Stop! That's my New Year's resolution. I can't even say it. I'm so not serious about it. So here's the question today. Is God really enough? When all is said and done, Is God enough when we can't see His promises coming to pass? Will God be enough when it seems we can't trust His promises? Is God enough when it seems it was all for naught? Listen, Abram's been obedient to leave Ur of the Chaldees. He's been obedient to continue on from Haran. He's been obedient to separate himself from his father's house. He hasn't been perfect. But he has been obedient to follow God's leading by faith. God has blessed him along the way. But there is still this one unfulfilled promise. And I can hear Abram saying something to this effect. Lord, I've done all that you've asked of me. I've left the land that you've told me to leave, the the land of my nativity. I've left my father's house. I've come to the land that you've showed me. But where is the child that you promised? It's been years now and I feel like all hope is about to be lost. When are you going to do as your word says? Lord, I don't even know that I can trust that it's going to come to pass right now. This is after these things. Lord, I've made a stand for you. I've said no to the world. I've said yes to you. I've done everything I know to do. And yet, where is it? I can hear Abram because I can hear myself. I can relate. Lord, I forsook all to be here. I forsook all to follow you. I've left my parents. I've left my land. I've left my career. I gave you all my ambitions, all of my dreams. I gave you all of me because I I knew it would be best for my family. I gave you all of me because I believed your promises, but now it feels like it's all for naught because this promise right here isn't coming to pass. Listen, I fight it at times. I was transparent with you on Christmas Eve. Maybe that was a mistake, but I was. And and I'm telling you, it's hard sometimes. Maybe I just have a wrong view of what I'm struggling with personally. I'm willing to admit that perhaps I need to look at some things differently in the Word of God. Maybe I've picked up some false teaching along the way. Maybe I've just believed what people have said. 
I just keep hoping God can say of me, like he said of Job, in all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And that tells you where I've been. That I even have to wonder, have I charged my God foolishly? Where are you at, Lord? This ain't coming to pass. I did what you said. I'm not saying I'm here against my will, but I did what you said. Now, where's your promises being fulfilled? Is everybody with me? I know it's getting real, but just let me have my moment. Where are you at, Lord? This verse has been very timely for me. Pastor DeGarmo's Sunday school lesson was very timely for me. Sister DeGarmo's song was very timely for me. And this is why I try to tell people, when you get in a tight spot, don't run away from church. Run to church. Because you will find there what you need. Here's what I believe the Lord is saying to all of us who are struggling today. I am thy exceeding great reward. Life may not turn out how you want it. And God's timing won't be your timing. But am I enough for you? We're tempted to reply back, but Lord. And the Lord says, no buts. Somebody said, get your butt out of the way. No buts. The Lord says, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now you either trust that or you don't. Because I got news for you, it's going to be a lot more years until this child comes. But Isaac does come. God does keep his promises. I may not like the storms that he takes me through to see it. And I'm just hanging on that right now. Lord, I know. God says, I'll protect you because you can't protect yourself. I'll be your reward because I'm the greatest thing I can give. So when the promises of God are not coming to pass in our time, is the Lord all that we need? Is God alone enough to sustain us when nothing else seems to be working out? And I'm sure there are some things that are working out, but you know how it is. The seriousness of a situation clouds all the other stuff. In Psalm 73, verse 26, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see your portion today. Is God trying to speak into your heart these words, Fear not, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward? If so, we invite you to talk to the Lord about it. And if that's you, you can join me down at the altar here in just a minute. Let's pray.